If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? Hope all is well. Welcome to episode number 104 of the Moranalytics podcast. Today is Friday, March 22nd, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do so. Also, rate and review. I can't tell you enough how much doing that helps this show. It really does. It helps us tremendously. Also, want to let you know, we just created a brand new YouTube page. It's Moranalytics Podcast. So if you can go on YouTube, type that in, search, hit subscribe. We are going to be posting highlight audio clips from certain podcasts. We're going to be posting original content. We're eventually going to be posting some videos. It's going to be a lot of fun. So go ahead and subscribe to that as well. Before I talk about today's show, I want to send much love and best wishes to the UB men's and women's basketball team. They're both playing today. NCAA tournament, big dance, both are in. Of course they are because they've been good for quite a while now. The UB men are playing Arizona State this afternoon. You got Nate Oates against Bobby Hurley. That's going to be awesome. On the women's side, you got UB playing Rutgers. Going to be another great game. I just can't say it enough. UB has become an amazing program for sports. I really hope I, they're on the map to a certain extent, but I really hope that Buffalo really embraces college sports more because of this team. It really deserves it. Buffalo is a pro sports town. I get that, but there's lots of room for college too. So I really hope that one or both of these teams could do some damage. And that as a result, maybe some more of the mainstream media outlets really start to pick up on it and make college sports in Buffalo a lot more important. And you know what? If you want to do it at the expense of the Buffalo Sabres, I'm fucking good with that. I'm totally, totally good with that because I am sick and tired of that team. Wednesday night, they go out. They lose at home. Toronto, of course, there's more Maple Leaf fans in the building than Buffalo fans. What else is new? Toronto, they sweep the Buffalo Sabres. First time that has happened, three straight games they lost in Buffalo. I'm talking about the Sabres. First time since 1972. 46 years. I don't think the Sabres are ever going to be good. If they could be on top of the NHL after two months and be where they're at right now, I don't know when this team is ever going to be freaking good again. Seriously, I don't. But you know what? I'll tell you what is going to be good. This podcast today, that's because I have on as a guest coming on in just a few minutes, Courtney Cox from NESN Boston. She is a fantastic reporter up in Boston. We're going to talk kind of the same way I do with most of my sports media folk. You're going to learn her story. She grew up in Massachusetts. She talks about being a kid, liking sports, why she decided to go to Boston College, why she became a cheerleader, which, by the way, not only was she a cheerleader in college, but she was actually a captain on the BC College chair team. Eventually, she dropped that her senior year so she could focus more on what would become her career. It's been a really good career so far. I talked to her about that. I get some takes of hers on sports media, social media, and, of course, she hits the mini lightning round, find out a lot of her favorites, stuff like that. Really good interview. Looking forward to bringing that to you. That's going to be in just a couple minutes. After that, I've yet to do this on this podcast. 104 episodes. I said, you know what? Finally, let's do it today. I'm doing at least a little mini AMA. What I did is, and by AMA, of course, I mean, ask me anything. I took to Twitter and Facebook on Thursday, and I asked fans of the show to send in questions, whether they were Buffalo sports, sports, pop culture, TV, whatever you want. And sending questions, you guys deliver it. I got about 10 or 12 really good questions. I'm going to answer those. 
see how the segment goes. If it goes well, maybe we'll do this like once a month. And if it flops, guess what? We're never going to do it again. Simple as that. So on that note, let's get this podcast started. First, here's my interview with the lovely Courtney Cox from NESN Boston, followed by my first ever AMA. All right, my guest today is a sports reporter at NESN Boston. She's a Boston College alumni. She's a former cheerleader. She's one of the more talented sports reporters in the game today. And just like it reads on her Twitter bio, no, no, she did not play Monica on Friends. Welcome to the podcast, Courtney Cox. How you doing, Courtney? Thanks for coming on and joining me on the podcast today. How you doing? Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm I'm jealous of you in Florida while I'm freezing up here in, in Boston. So, <laughs> um, yeah, very excited. Let me get that obligatory stupid question out of the way right off the top here. How often do you get that, are you Courtney Cox from Friends Crack, and does it ever get annoying to you? I've been dealing with it. I mean, so first and foremost, Friends came out after I was born. Um, so I was born in 91. And so Courtney Cox Arquette, uh, Courtney Cox with an extra E in her name, uh, Monica, wasn't famous until after I was born. So I was never named after her. Um, it's just a coincidence. And I've been going through it my whole life. So it never gets annoying. I had surgery on my wrist when I was younger. And the doctors uh, and nurses didn't show on time because they thought it was a prank. Um, it was in the midst of friends being very, very popular. So that was probably the only time it got very annoying. Um, but no, I, I find it funny now. <laughs> my wife, I told her that I was going to be interviewing you kind of the same deal. You know, you get that Courtney Cox from friends crack. My wife, her <laughs> name is Aaron. And so her last name is Moran. So she's Aaron Moran. Now in today's world doesn't mean a lot, but I've been with her for 20 years, 20 years ago. That was Aaron Moran, Joni from happy days. And everyone you saw oh, always calling yep. Joni from happy days. Are you Aaron Moran? So she, she kind of went through the same thing, maybe on a smaller scale than you have. But anyway, I just found that interesting. So now you grew up in Lowell, Massachusetts, which is roughly an hour or so away from Boston. What was it like growing up there? Um, I grew up in Lowell. My parents are both from Lowell. So it was um, kind of really, really nice because all my family members lived decently close. Um, my grandparents lived a street over and my grandmother, my mom, my dad's mom um, lived kind of on the other side of town, but my mom's a twin or twin lived on the other side. So my cousin was there. Um, so it was great. I didn't go to school in Lowell. Um, I went to school, um, a Catholic school, 15, 20 minutes away. So I didn't go to school. So I didn't really have that many friends. I have some, some friends from Lowell, but all my friends were basically in New Hampshire. I actually live with one of my only friends from Lowell. So, um, I love Lowell. I love going back there. Um, people are so nice. It has a great nightlife that people don't usually see and awesome restaurants. So there's a, the slogan is there's a lot to like about Lowell. And I stand by that. <laughs> what first got you interested in sports? Did you play any sports as a kid? Um, I did kind of the basic, I was in soccer. I played basketball, but I literally only got on the team because my friend's dad was the coach and I'm not making that up at all. <laughs> I was terrible at basketball. Um, but I played soccer. I was a swimmer growing up. I did golf and tennis. Um, but I really started full blown into sports because I was a cheerleader and that's what I really fell in love with. Um, and I got to learn so much about football and basketball and I also competed as a cheerleader. So I felt like an athlete the entire time. Um, but that's what really made me fall in love with sports in general. And I got to continue that, like you said, through BC. So, um, I got to travel around and, and see college stadiums that I never thought I would see. So that's really what got me into it. Can you recollect when sports journalism, sports reporting, you could first remember that maybe this is something that when you got older that you could see yourself doing as an adult? Was there a specific time where you could remember that? I always knew that I was going to do something with my life, that I was going to talk all the time. I love talking. I never stopped talking. I <laughs> parent-teacher conferences when I was growing up. The teachers were always like, Courtney, 
never shuts up. Um, so I always knew I was going to do something like that. And I knew I wasn't going to have kind of a traditional job sitting at a desk, um, punching numbers. That was never going to be my thing. And when I went to college, I was a communications major off the bat. Um, I declared what my major was as a freshman, which they tell you not to do over and over again, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and my captain, my freshman year on the cheerleading team was Molly McGrath, who's now with ESPN. And she had created a show at BC where she interviewed student athletes and um, you got to know the athlete off the field, ice, court, um, whatever. So. When she was graduating, she had said to me, I don't know what you want to do with your communications major, but um, you're taking public speaking, uh, and I think you could be good at this, so you should audition. And I reached out and did it, and um, things kind of took off from there, so much so that I, my senior year, I hung up my pom-poms. I like to say I retired. I didn't quit, and um, did, did reporting, emceeing, hosting full-time. One of my favorite recurring questions during these interviews, whenever I have someone on the podcast, doesn't matter if it's a sports media person or an athlete, as I like to, I don't know why, I just have a big interest in knowing why you went to the school that you went to, because I feel like it helped shape your life. In your case, why did you decide to go to Boston College and were there other schools that you considered going to? I have the weirdest answer for BC because most of my friends um, and roommates, their parents were all alumni. BC has a huge alumni system. Um, so a lot of legacies there. I Neither of my parents went there. I had a cousin that went to BC and it was just always in the news or on the front page of newspapers. When I was younger, our sports teams, I mean, you grow up in like the Matt Ryan era and obviously everyone here knows who Doug Flutie is. And for me, BC just had this, this sparkle to it, if that makes sense. Um, sure. I don't know why I liked it. I didn't have that family connection besides my cousin. I just knew that that's where I wanted to go. Um, and when we went on the first tour that I took there, the official tour, I mean, I've, I'd been to the school before, but seeing all the buildings and the dorms and the classrooms, um, my favorite movie of all time is The Wizard of Oz. Okay. Always has been. I thought I was Dorothy growing up. And there is a hall at BC um, and the architecture inside is all based off The Wizard of Oz. And when I tell you that that was the moment in time that it felt like world stopped. My parents and I looked at each other. My mom had tears in her eyes and it just confirmed that feeling that I always had that I wanted to go there. I just knew I, I knew I was meant to go to BC. That's the only way I can put it. Um, I was waitlisted at BC. And so, yes, I looked at a lot of different schools and I was going to Syracuse um, because I was waitlisted at BC and I got into Boston College on my graduation day from high school. So when I walked across the stage at graduation, and they announced that I was going to Syracuse um, because I, it, it wasn't enough time to kind of switch it. Oh, wow. Huh. Now, you, you talked about cheerleading. You were a cheerleader in high school and then also at Boston College. In fact, as a junior, you were captain. But like you sure. said, you gave it up for your senior year to focus on being an in-game video board host for football and basketball games with BC. Was that a difficult decision for you giving up cheerleading? And what was that gig like for you once you did? It was. Um, anyone who knew me in college knew that cheerleading was kind of my life. I I breathed BC athletics. Um, I was just full blown in it all the time. And anything that my coach asked me to do, I was there. Anything that a teammate asked me to do, to do I was there. Anything the athletic asked me to do, I was there. Um, I was also local. So all summer long, any events that they needed coverage on, I was there in my cheerleading uniform. Um, I just found that I would be pulled into things last minute when it came to reporting or hosting or emceeing. And I was in a cheerleading uniform with a bow in my hair. So nothing was professional enough. Nothing could be used for a real after school. Mm -hmm. So it got to a point where I had to look at myself and say, okay, um, I've kind of accomplished everything I wanted to do in the cheerleading world here, um, in my four years. So I think I need to really think about my career after school. Um, it was the hardest decision in every single person. All of my friends, all of my roommates said, okay, you're going to say you're going to quit. I give it two weeks into the season and you are going to be back there asking coach 
to be back on the team. Um, and it was really hard. I think your first football game um, after being on a field every Saturday and traveling with the team Friday nights and um, giving up kind of that whole college experience to have this athletic career, if you will. Sure. Um, it was really, really weird and it was hard. Um, I never had like a senior day and, and get to meet my parents in the middle of the field. And I'm sure my parents hate that, that we weren't able to do that. But um, I don't regret it at all. I got not only so much um, exposure for my reel, and I think that's what really helps me land a job right out of school, but it also is so fun to be just a normal college student. I mean, I got to go to tailgates. I got to have a beer before going into a game. I mean, right. I just... It, it, I got to have the full experience and I left kind of with no regrets. I think it was the right path for me. Um, but yeah, no, it was definitely a hard decision. Now you got some sports journalism experience while in school. After school, you got a job in Charlotte, North Carolina, working for the ACC Digital Network. You had basically spent your entire life in the Massachusetts or at least that area. And now you're in Charlotte. Was that a huge adjustment for you? A little bit of culture shock? It was. Um, I always thought that the South was where I belonged. Um, my my family and I go to Hilton Head, South Carolina um, every year, and it's been kind of our second home. And um, I love it down there. I think the South is so great. People are so great. Everyone's so nice. Y'all is such a cute little phrase yeah, that I, yes, I never is. use, but I would love to. Yeah. Um, but when I moved, I never left home. And um, I mean, I lived at a dorm, but it was an hour away from where my parents live. I'm an only child. So the moving part was probably the biggest adjustment. I was also going into an industry where you don't have nights off, you don't have weekends off. So making friends um, was hard. And I had a great group down there, but you would go weeks without seeing them. Um, so it was, it was definitely a big adjustment. Um, I love Charlotte. I think it's an awesome city. It's young. It's it's um it's a lot of lot of fun and uh the panther stadium bank of america stadium is right in the middle of downtown which yeah. i always find really cool um but yeah it was definitely an, an adjustment and, it, and i would be lying to you if i said there weren't times um there was one time where we were driving back from um spending some time with my parents and they were driving me to logan and we were going over the zakum and I started having a full-blown meltdown and I, it was so early on and my parents were like, what is wrong? And I said, I, it just, it was so weird to be leaving a place that you love so much. I love Boston so much. Um, I just felt like I was giving up that part of me to move for my career. Um, I would never, I don't regret it. I think it was perfect for me. It was awesome. The people I met, the experiences I had were awesome, but it, it was a hard, hard adjustment. Now you got a job that would bring you back to the Boston area, December, 2015 as a host and a reporter for the LAX sports network. How did that opportunity come about? And I would imagine after what you just said, having the opportunity to return back home, so to speak, that that was a pretty easy decision for you to make. Yeah, it was, um, it was crazy because it was such a busy time with the ACC. Um, we were, I was hosting the uh, football championship game and I was also freelancing for the Bronco Nagurski award uh, ceremony for CBS. So it was, I had so much going on in Charlotte, but at the same time I was at that point, I'd been there for almost two years where I said, okay, I, I know I want to get back to Boston. So I need to really start looking. Um, and I, saw this company, LAX, I had no idea what it was, and kind of followed them, I think, on social media and got a phone call about a job um, kind of right away. And I thought that we were just going to have this phone conversation and it turned into them saying, you know, we want to hire you. So if you're good, we're good. And I I almost said yes. And then I said, okay, no, I have no idea what this place is. They were launching yeah. this network. I didn't know if it was going to be a closet um, in somebody's basement that they were going to try to launch a network out of. So I listen, I think I need you guys to fly me to Boston and um, for me to check everything out before I commit. But all right, let's, let's, let's further the conversation. So I came, they had their, uh, their office space was in new balance. Um, I don't know what you would call it. It wasn't in the actual office that New Balance is in, but it was across the street. It was like a warehouse that they had 
turned into a studio and it was top notch. And when I say that they're launching this network and they put a lot of money into it, um, I was sold kind of immediately after seeing that. And I was thrilled that I was coming home and it happened so quickly. Um, it was a whirlwind. And I went from living on my own in Charlotte, um, having kind of crazy hours and no weekends to working in Boston, living at my parents um, and having a much better schedule. So for me, it was a no brainer. And I, I came and I was, I think the first show that was on the network was myself and um, the other anchor, Travis Eldridge, who's still with Lax. He's awesome. He's very talented and a Syracuse alum. Um, he and I, I think, were the first faces that appeared when the network launched. So that was an awesome experience and very, very cool. Yeah, that is cool. About eight months later, July 2016, you landed your job at NESN. Now, I, I believe that you interned there before previously. Did you I did. How did that opportunity come about to end up at NESN? So I, um, when I interned, I remember my last day of my internship, leaving and talking to my mom and saying, I need to come back and work here. Um, my internship was a production internship that that they didn't really need to give me as much work as they did. But I think they realized that I wanted hands-on experience and they also knew that I wanted to be a reporter. They knew I wanted to be on air. So Tom Karen, if you know the Red Sox, you know who TC is. Mm -hmm. He took me completely under his wing um, when I was an intern and was so, so nice to me um, that, and he didn't need to be. Um, he would have me sit with him in the green room. The first time I ever um, scored a baseball game was sitting in a green room with TC and Jim Rice. And no one else can probably say that. Yeah. And I, um, I, I, I was finished and I had to go help set up the studio. And Jim Rice said, Courtney, you should put your name on that and you should date it because it's the first one you have. It's the first card that you have. I said, okay. So I do it. I go into the studio and I come back and he signed it. Um, and I ended up putting it in a, um, auto box and it's, it was my dad's, uh, father's day present that year. Um, mm. and he still has it in his, in his office, but people there just wanted to see you succeed and they wanted you to get so much out of that internship. So I knew I wanted to go back. So when I got a phone call, um, from people that knew me when I was an intern and kind of, I kept in touch with and would constantly be sending them my reel and my resume and any updates I had when that opened, I knew that I had to, I had to get it and I had to get back there. And it's so cool now because the people I interned for are now my coworkers and um, they've seen me grow so much and it, it, it has such a family feel um, and I think that's why I love Nesson so much is it is it's, it feels like a family. I'm sure there's plenty of cool things about your job that you like. I mean, that's why you got in the business to begin with, but what do you consider the coolest part of your job? What do you look forward to more than anything else when it comes to work? I probably look forward to, um, interviews. You get to know these athletes on such a different level. And um, you see how people can either villainize an athlete in a city or make them this superhuman hero. Sure. But no matter what, they're this bigger than life person to to a fan of a sport. And when you actually sit down or 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 you grab them at a game to talk to them, you realize that they are so normal and I'm not even just saying this because I work in the market. Boston is so lucky. Our athletes are so humble um, and and nice. I, I, and, and I know it doesn't come across that way for, for a lot of the times um, with right. headlines. And I mean, yes, there are times where athletes will have a moment and that's what everybody latches on to. But my experience in Boston has been so positive and the athletes I've interviewed have been just so, so nice and kind and respectful and humble. Um, so that's my favorite part because you never know what you're going to get. And I think I like that adrenaline rush of the job. Um, it never gets old. And I could be at a Celtics game and the Red Sox show up with the World Series trophy and I'm trying to get Red Sox players or the Patriots show up or whoever shows up. And you never know if they're going to say yes or no. And then when they say yes, you're in your head thinking, okay, so I can ask them about this or that. And when you walk away from something like that, it's so rewarding. And when you see other people appreciate that, whether it's back in the studio or 
somebody sends you a tweet saying that was awesome. Um, it, it's, it's so rewarding. So I would say that's definitely my favorite part about the job. I need to ask you this. And admittedly, I'm sure there's a little bit of New York jealousy here, but do you ever feel a little spoiled sometimes having grown up <laughs> rooting for Boston teams and now covering them because you're still, you're young enough that you weren't necessarily emotionally invested in teams like the Red Sox and the Patriots back when they never used to win anything. No, I mean, it's been, what, 18 years now. I think the Patriots have been in nine Super Bowls. They got six wins. The Red Sox have won four or five World Series since 2003. You know, someone from Boston nowadays, you're somebody's winning a championship every single year. Now, again, jealousy speaking here. I grew up in Buffalo. I'm from <laughs> Buffalo. It's like the, the city's ready to throw a parade if the Bills or the Sabres make the playoffs. You live in a town and you're covering teams that are, contending for championships every year. You ever feel a little bit spoiled by all that? No, I am completely spoiled. Um, and I know that. And if I ever forget, my dad's the first person to remind me. Um, that's when I have a reality check all the time. I mean, I can remember the last time the Bruins won the Stanley Cup. Um, my dad was on our back porch and I'd come home from watching it with friends. And he was out there smoking a cigar watching kind of the celebration through a window into my living room and he had tears in his eyes and he was just like you don't understand like Boston is just becoming this crazy place now and I've just wanted it to be that my entire life blah 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 so for me I see how excited he gets and so I, I feel that um but I mean he's the first person to ask me after any type of practice or game if you know Oh, did you see Kyrie Irving at a Celtics game? Yep. Um, do you see Tom Brady at a Patriots game? Yep. He was there. So he just, he, he's so overwhelmed with my job that that's when I know how spoiled I am because, um, I, I never want to take it for granted. And there are so many moments where I do have to take myself and look around and be like, wow, I can't believe I am where I am right now. And there are so many people that would kill to be here. Um, so yes, I am a hundred percent spoiled and I know that. Well, when, at least when it comes to the Red Sox, it's kind of a little bit of revenge. I, I grew up, I'm a Yankees fan. I used to talk shit all mm -hmm. the time to Red Sox fans. Well, you know, the, the Cruz of Babe Ruth and this and that. I never win. Blah, blah. Well, that all changed in 2004 and then 2007 and 2013 and last year as well. So I, I, I don't know. Get, I, good on you. Like I said, <laughs> total jealousy, admittedly, on my part here. Being serious, I, I do have a serious question for you. I'm, I'm confident, generally speaking, that you get treated fairly, but I'm sure it has to be a little bit trying as well, working in a sports industry that traditionally has been mostly dominated by males. Do you ever feel like women unfairly have more to prove than men when it comes to the sports journalism industry, especially when it comes to the more high profile jobs? Is that something that you think still goes on today? Maybe a little bit less than it used to, but it's still a factor that's out there. Absolutely. Um, I've, I'm very lucky to work with um, a group at Nessun that everyone really builds up the females in the industry. Um, but I will, I've said this for a while and I will continue to say it. I think if you were to take a male and have him say something and get it wrong um, during a shoot, during an interview, during anything, and you were to have a female do the same exact thing, the male to the fans perspective misspoke um and the female has no idea what she's talking about oh absolutely think, you're right yeah yes that's just something that's never go i hope it's going to change i don't see it ever changing and i get it i've never played football i played basketball and i was terrible at it but there are a lot of reporters that i work with that are men who have also never played football and who are also probably terrible at basketball we're all still watching the game and we're all still just trying to tell a story. That's bottom line. I'm just trying to tell you guys a story and I'm trying to show you something that's different than what you're getting in the game broadcast. Um, so yeah, I think it, it does get hard sometimes. I, my first job out of school was obviously in college athletics and college sports fans are the best and the worst people out there on the internet. So I learned to get a pretty thick skin early on. And um, so now I, it, it really doesn't bother me. Um, there will be certain moments where I'm like, this person is just being a jerk to be a jerk. Uh, but the internet trolls are really where you find more of the um, bias against women. 
I, I don't really find it in the workplace. I find it on my Twitter feed or in my Instagram DMs. I'm really glad you brought that up. How do you feel about social media, particularly Twitter? Because on one hand, Twitter could be a really great thing. It can help you build a following. It allows you to deliver your work to everyone instantly. It allows you to interact with your fans. There's lots of things about Twitter to love. But at the same token, it could also be a very nasty place with trolls who just say whatever shit that they could possibly think of for no other reason than to try to rile you up. So how do you handle the trolls and the idiots out there? And that's exactly what they are. Who might just say Courtney Cox is just a pretty face who doesn't really know shit about sports. Again, these are people whose sole purpose in life is to try to be hurtful. And sadly, it comes with the territory when you're a public personality like you are. How do you handle that? Yeah. Um you find that you have to laugh at it. You really have to not take it so seriously. I think people take social media so seriously now. And I am who I am. And I think if anybody sees my Twitter feed, I don't talk about sports all the time. I talk about The Bachelor or reality TV mm-hmm. or, um, I mean, I'm high on the Game of Thrones bandwagon right now. Me too. So, and that, I, yeah, I'm. I can't, I've lost so much sleep, but, um, (laughs) so many people will, will respond and be like, why are you talking about this? Like, it's just, it's constant. And so I don't even really look at it anymore. If I see random responses, I hardly look at them. Um, and I've been caught up sometimes where somebody will say something that's just so outrageous that, that I have to respond. But for the most part, you have to laugh at it because these people are, are behind a computer screen. And would never say it to your face. I would tell you 9.9.9% of the people would never go and say something to your face that they are saying to you on the internet. Absolutely. So that's what you have to remember. Yeah, absolutely. And don't change, by the way. I love when you talk about the batch or in Game of Thrones and stuff <laughs> like that. Thank S- you. Sports is sports. It's your job. But sometimes people don't understand. You know, you do have a life outside of sports. I guess some people just aren't able to grasp that. Who would you consider yeah. a couple? Go ahead. I'm sorry. It will in a lot of people, sports is their escape from work, um, right? So sure. people get out of the office all day and they want to go watch whatever game is on. For me, sports is my work. So when I go home, I want to see what's going on on Siesta Key or uh, The Bachelor or whatever other show is on that night. That's my escape. So um, it, it's giving my brain a rest and kind of letting me relax. Got to ask you a question and not to get too personal here, but... Have you ever had an issue in the dating pool in that you're a female sports reporter and guys that that you go on a date with, they just might want to talk sports and maybe you just got off a long shift or you've worked five straight days or maybe you're just a little bit mentally burned out at the moment from sports and you go out to dinner or whatever. And that's like the last thing in the world that you want to talk about. But yet the person that you're on a date with, they know who you are. They know what you do and they want to prick your brain. They want to talk sports and that's what they want to do. Has that ever been an issue for you? Oh, for sure. Um, When I was single and going on dates, it was the first point that I would know, okay, there's not going to be a second date. Um, When somebody would ask just like, what is this person like in the locker room? Have you, or, or just weird questions about, about the industry um, or asking about my friends who also work in the industry or asking me, Oh, like, you know, it's Red Sox spring training. Someone's like, so how do you think they're going to be this year? No, I don't want to sit down and have a conversation about <laughs> right. that. Um, I, I'm not going to ask you about how your sales are going or the stock market or, you know, whatever you do. So. Um, yeah, I I think that that was that was very very hard, but it also shows you who you're interested in pretty quickly. Um if somebody doesn't, you know, think your job is really really cool or you don't think that they're using you because of the work that you do or people think I get tickets all the time. I don't get tickets. I never get tickets to anything. <laughs> um but people think that. They think you you're a reporter so you must have just uh, endless amounts of tickets to any game anytime. Uh, in the city. So, so yeah, that, that's definitely a hard thing. And I'm sure for uh, across the board, every 
female sports reporter. That's a hard thing when you're dating. Sure. All right. One more question. Then we're going to wrap up with the mini lightning round. Whenever I have someone like yourself, a sports media person on this podcast, I know that I have a decent amount of fans out there listening, whether they're in high school, college, blogging, whatever. They're interested in getting into the sports journalism business, whether it's being a sports writer, a sports reporter, sports producer, whatever have you. While I got you on the show, what's the best advice that you can offer someone out there listening who may want to do what you're currently doing now? I would say take every opportunity that's given to you. There's nothing too big or too small. Um, whether it is emceeing, I mean, I was talking about the uh, the ACC football championship game and my main um, hosting gig was with Bojangles. They had this massive sponsorship with the ACC football championship game and it was all right, fans, it's time to boogie for your big bow box presented by Bojangles. And it was <laughs> a dance competition. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going out there and I have to say this in front of a packed Bank of America stadium. Um, how embarrassing, on and on. And then when I got there, I thought, oh my God, all of these people are going to see me. They're going to know my name. They're going to know my face. So anytime that you can get in front of a crowd, get in front of a camera, do anything like that, take it. Um, Nothing is dumb. Nothing is too little for you. Nothing is too big for you. If you get an opportunity that you think, oh, I can't believe they're trusting me with this, take it and show them that good job that you trusted me with this. Also meet everybody that you can. Make sure people know your face. Don't just send emails. Talk to people on the phone. I think everyone my age and younger is so used to just texting. Nobody wants to talk on the phone. Talk to people on the phone. Make sure they know your voice. Make sure that they know that your face because you never know down the road if that person is the one hiring for the position you want. They're like, you know what? I remember that one because they didn't just um, send me an email letting me see their reel. We talked on the phone. We got coffee. Um, there are so many people that I got coffee with at the end of my college career into post-graduation that helped me along the way. And I'm so, so grateful for that and so grateful for making those connections so early on because I know I'll have them forever. All right. That's really sound advice there. All right, let's end mini lighting round. All I'm going to do is ask you a handful of random questions. No deep thought required. Whatever the first thing you pops in your mind, that's your answer. You good with that? Yeah, I'm so nervous. Okay, uh, let's do it. All right. <laughs> Favorite athlete that you've covered? David Ortiz. Favorite non-sports related activity to do? Bachelor. Favorite city to visit? Now, you've gotten to travel some, being a cheerleader at school and all that stuff. What's been your favorite city to visit? Favorite city to visit? Nashville, Tennessee. Um, favorite state? I've ever visited was Clemson. Okay. What's your favorite sports movie? Uh, remember the Titans. If you had never gotten involved in sports journalism in any capacity, which after talking to you for this last half hour, seems hard to believe, but if it, that did, if you did or it didn't work out or anything like that, what do you think you may have went on to do with your life? A party planner. Okay. This is a new question in my mini lightning round, and it's a tough one. If you could bring back one celebrity from the dead, someone that has passed away that you really admire, and you could bring them back to life, who would it be? Um, I would bring back, um, I'm blanking on his name, but he played, he was in Glee, um, and he was unbelievable. In oh, Glee. I know his I can't think of his name either. I know exactly. Uh, Corey Monteith. Corey Monteith. There it That's is. That's what it is. Okay. Um, because he was so good in Glee. Okay. If Twitter were to send you a note, second last question here, and said, Courtney, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter now. We changed policy. That's it. Only one person or one Twitter handle. That's all you could follow. What would be that one Twitter follow you'd have? Mike Golick Jr. All right. Last question here. You could have three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive, does not matter who it is or what era that they are from. Anybody. Three people at your house, dinner, maybe a couple of drinks, whatever. Who you got? Okay. I would do um, Tyrion from Game of Thrones. Nice. He, drink, um, he would drink all your wine. Yes. I would do him. I would do Tom Brady. And I would do 
Justin Bieber. <laughs> nice. That would be an unbelievable. That would be an unbelievable house party. I'll tell you what. I've had. I've probably done that segment a hundred times on this podcast. Now those are three answers that I have yet to get. So that you're unique. You're unique. If nothing else, that's awesome, man. Perfect. Uh, all right, everyone give Courtney a follow on Twitter at Cox Courtney. Of course you could check out some of her work at NESN.com. If you don't get NESN on your cable, thanks a lot, Courtney. This was fun. I'm, I'm glad I got to know you and I'm sure a lot of your fans are going to appreciate this. Thank you so much for having me. That was Courtney Cox, NESN Boston. So like I said at the top of the podcast, doing something a little different today, something we have not done on this show yet. I'm having a little AMA segment. And what I did is go on our Facebook and Twitter pages on Thursday And I invited fans to submit questions, whether it be Buffalo sports, national sports, pop culture, whatever they wanted, submit a question, and I would answer some of them on the air today for this episode. So that's what I'm going to do. I got about, I don't know, looking at about eight to 10 questions. I'll try to get through them all. And uh, maybe we'll see how this goes. Maybe this will be something that we'll do, I don't want to say regularly, but at least maybe semi-regularly give fans a chance to voice their opinions and ask their questions and uh, see how it goes. So anyway, let's start. Joe and Perry on Facebook asks, what are the top three moves you make if you were Kim Bagula with the Sabres? Well, I mean, that's a good question. Number one, first and foremost, and I'm only going to count this as one. I'm getting rid of Phil Housley. And at the same time, I'm doing everything possible to get Quenville in as head coach. I think that's something that really needs to happen. They need that type of coach here. I don't necessarily think that he wants to come here, but you know what? Money always talks and there's enough talent here. You give them the right price. You never know. So that's number one. That's priority one. Priority number two, I'm doing whatever it takes to extend Jeff Skinner. I mean, I'm not going to go as far to make him the highest paid player in the NHL or anything crazy like that, but Get to do what he wants. I'm sure it'll be expensive, but whatever. It's not our money. Jack Eichel needs him. I think they need each other. He likes Buffalo. He waived his no trade last year when he was with Carolina to come here. So it's not like he feels in prison in Buffalo, although the last couple months of this season certainly did not help matters. I feel like maybe if the team was contending, this would have already been a done deal. Clearly it's not. So that's priority number two. And then the third thing I would do, that's tough because there's, I don't know if there's something that ranks three, three could be four, five, six, or seven as well. They got to make a couple changes to get a couple of these veterans out of here. I'll go with Scandella. Let's make him number three. Get rid of him. Buy him out. If you can't trade him, get rid of him. Those are the three things I would do. There's many more moves besides just those three. My three are hire Quinville, extend Skinner, and yeah, ship Scandell out. So if I'm Kim Bagula, Terry Bagula, whatever, I'm hiring Joe Quinville, I am re-signing Jeff Skinner, and I am shipping Marco Scandell out. All right, next question. Silvanos on Twitter asks, what is it about wrestling with parentheses, the fake stuff that still draws you in? I used to love it when I was a kid but it no longer holds my interest. Dude, why are you putting wrestling on blast, man? What's up with that? Look, wrestling is fake. It's entertainment. Everyone knows it. This is a, a different world with wrestling. It's not like it used to be 20 years ago, 25 years ago. They're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes anymore. They acknowledge that it's, well, they don't say the word fake, but they use the word entertainment. It's entertaining. You don't have to be a kid to like wrestling. I'm not sure of the context of what you're asking this, and maybe I'm misinterpreting it. So if so, I apologize fully, but I like wrestling. I always have liked wrestling, and I always will like wrestling. And the reason why is because it's entertaining to me. I like stories. I like the storylines in wrestling. I like the angles of wrestling. I like the production value of wrestling. I like the broadcasting. I like the backstage segments. I like the actual matches, although 
I'll tell you this, to be honest with you, the actual matches itself are pretty much not even close to being at the top of the reasons why I actually do like wrestling. Not even close. You know, quickly, not to get off topic here, but I'm binge watching with my wife, Game of Thrones, and the Battle of the Bastards was just on, which was an epic battle scene. Now, that is an exception. I watched that. I was completely riveted. But for the most part, during that series, and I'm talking about Game of Thrones here, a lot of the fights, a lot of the battles, they didn't do that much for me. I like Game of Thrones. I became obsessed with it because of the stories, because of the angles, because of the dialogue, because of the characters. It's character-driven. And I kind of feel the same way about wrestling. It's character-driven. Don't care so much about the actual wrestling matches itself, at least not sometimes. And I don't try to pretend anymore like I did when I was a kid. And that was a difference. When I was a kid, I kind of believed it was real, sort of, maybe in a way, or at least I was suspicious. Now I know it's fake, but or not fake, entertainment. I hate using that word fake because these guys do get hurt and women do get hurt. But anyway, dude, don't hate on wrestling, man. Come on. Wrestling is fun. I like wrestling the same reasons why I like watching This Is Us or The Voice or CSI or The Big Bang Theory, shows like that because it's fun and because it's entertaining and it's character driven. Next up, Anthony Gullo on Twitter asked, other than food and sports, what are the top three things you miss or appreciate the most about Buffalo? That's a good question. I, I would say food, number one, but you say I can't, and I'll play along here. Sports, I don't miss Buffalo sports because I'm still very much involved in Buffalo sports. I talk about them on my podcast here twice a week all the time. I interview many Buffalo athletes and many Buffalo sports media people. So I don't miss that. Plus, you know, I think it's a different day and age. Maybe 20, 25 years ago, if you moved 1,300 miles away like I did a few, what, in 2016, I would miss Buffalo sports a lot more. But in today's world, I could still read the Buffalo news online every day. I could still see, if not the entire local newscast, I could see large portions of them on the websites, clips all over the place on Facebook, Instagram. So I think it's much easier to move away and still follow the teams in, in the cities and the sports that you love. I don't think that's a big a factor in 2019 as it was maybe 20 years ago. But anyway, the top three things I miss or appreciate the most, number one, the people. I mean, that's a no-brainer. The people of Buffalo are outstanding people, and I'm not just saying that to kiss ass here. I truly mean it. And sometimes you don't realize those things until you leave. But people in Buffalo are very personable, very charismatic, and I know that sounds crazy, but, but trust me, it really is true. They're good people. And if they're not good people, they're in your face. Their, their personalities are so different than other places. So I really miss it and I appreciate that very much. Another thing, and this is an underrated thing, traffic. You know, everyone talks about how great Florida is. And in a lot of ways it is. I'm not going to lie. The winters are, are paradise. The, the beaches are plentiful. The tiki bars are endless. The water is, it's beautiful all the time. But you know what sucks about Florida? Traffic. It is a pain in the balls to go anywhere. I live about 45 minutes from Tampa and nine times out of 10, I got to leave an hour and a half before I'm supposed to be somewhere to get somewhere that should take half the time because you never know. All it takes is one accident, one cluster of cars somewhere, and you're screwed because you don't have 20 different ways to get somewhere like you do in Buffalo. Buffalo people don't ever complain about traffic. You might have a traffic jam every now and then, but trust me, compared, if you think it's bad, go move somewhere else to a larger city. You won't think Buffalo's traffic is bad. It's not at all. So that's number two. And three, just a general vibe uh, of places like Buffalo, Western New York. And when I say Buffalo, by the way, I obviously mean all of Western New York. You're stuck in a way in winter. You're surviving winter. It's cold. It sucks. And I'll always feel that way. I'll never want to live in Buffalo in the winter because I hate winter. But what is great about that is the first sign of spring. It could be 42 degrees out in March. People are in their t-shirts and shorts sometimes in Buffalo 
ready to go out and do stuff. You don't take it for granted when you have that window of weather to have fun. You don't not go to the beach because you're lazy. It's a nice day in the summer. Your ass is getting up and you're going to that fucking beach because you're not going to get that many great days. You're going to bear blast and fundraisers and meat raffles and lawn fates and outdoor concerts and all kinds of stuff like that in Buffalo during the season. You're so active and as you should be again, you take, you live somewhere in Florida, for an example, and I can only use Florida because that's where I live now. It's 12 months a year of the same thing. The, the, the colors never change. The seasons don't really change. It's either hot or it's fucking crazy hot. And for a while, it's fun, but sometimes it wears off. It wears off after a while, and you're left just with the vibe of, eh. Whereas in Buffalo, man, you take advantage of an opportunity. When you get that three, four-month window from, like, say, maybe May through September, you're doing everything you possibly can. You ain't sitting around. You're not sitting around the house. You're out and you're doing shit. So I miss that a lot. So people, traffic, and just the overall vibe of Buffalo, I really appreciate that a lot. Related topic, but not exactly the same. Wayne on Facebook wants to know, not being one who has tried leaving Buffalo or New York, I wonder why most are tempted to come back. That's a great question. I would say because people when they're in Buffalo, don't realize how good it is until they leave. Buffalo is known for shit weather. That's the biggest knock. There's not a million things to do, which I think is a complete farce. But anyway, that's the perception that Buffalo gets. And the winters suck, which is 100% accurate and true. It does. It shuts you down. But anyway, in my case, and I can only speak for mine here, okay? But in 2016, when I left to go to Florida, I couldn't get out of Buffalo fast enough. I was tired of the weather. I always felt, again, you take things for granted, not enough to do, just I wanted to change. So I left. And I'm not talking negatively about Florida. This is more of praise in Buffalo here. You don't realize how community-oriented towns like Buffalo are. You could go to, for an example, you go to West Seneca and you go to the local town restaurant, okay? And you go there every Sunday for brunch. Let's just use that. You go there every week. Within a month or two, you're going to start to know a lot of people there. You see the same faces, the same people. You have a lot of the same stuff. And that's a good thing. I'm I'm using this as a compliment in the scenario here. Whereas in Florida, and maybe some people will think that this is a positive. I don't. But anyway, you go to a restaurant in Florida. I could go to the same one every week. I'll never see the same person twice. I just feel like there's not communities in Florida. You just live somewhere. Like I live in Bradenton. Bradenton is just a town. West Seneca in New York is a community. South Buffalo is a community. Good or bad, it's a community. People are close. You have a beer blast. And you're going to get everyone to show up in Florida. I don't actually, you know what? I don't, and don't get me wrong. I don't actively seek them out. I don't think I've seen a meat raffle in Florida in three years. I don't think I've, maybe there's been a beer blast or two. I've barely seen any fundraisers, just stuff like that. It's just different. And to answer your question, I think people are tempted to come back because it's what they're used to. When you grow up in Buffalo, There's a bond, there's a closeness, and you're just used to that. Buffalo has always felt like one of those we're in it together type of cities. And that's not to say that Buffalo, you know, is this big city in despair or anything like that, but that's just the attitude. We're all in this together, good or bad. That's the way it feels in Buffalo. Whereas Florida, and I can only use Florida again, where I live in as as an example, it feels like, all right, man, it's every man for themselves. So That is a difference to me, and that's why I think most people who leave Buffalo are always tempted to come back. Next up, Aaron on Facebook asks, who do you think is a better villain on Game of Thrones? Joffrey, Cersei Lannister, Littlefinger, Ramsey Bolton, or the Night King? Boy, oh boy, that's a juicy question. 
Uh, definitely not the Night King. Have not seen enough of him. And there's no layers to him. That dude just wants to kill everybody and everything. Ramsey Bolton and Joffrey. Very similar. They're just monsters. Is evil and villain considered the same thing? I don't know. No redeeming qualities to either of those guys. Or like I said, both monsters. Joffrey got drunk with power within hours of being named king. And Ramsey, I mean, he he murdered his father, his little baby brother. He tortured people. Not nothing redeeming about him at all. So he's up there. Cersei Lannister, you know, I'd say no at least for the first six seasons anyway, because I felt like she had some redeeming qualities to her. For all the evil things she did to other people, you can make a case that she was trying to protect her family, her sons, her daughter, Jamie Lannister. So I wouldn't say her either for that reason. She's completely lost and now she has nobody. But this is based on the whole series. I'll tell you, I'd go with Littlefinger. Just because he has played everyone against each other. He has taken both sides of the fence. He's an opportunist. He really is. He's just got, he had that slimy voice and that look to him. Just the least trustworthy person you might have ever seen on any TV show ever. So for that reason, tough question, good question, but I'll go with Littlefinger. Next up, John on Facebook. In your opinion, what song is the best to get the party started or to bring a dying party back to life? (laughs) Ah, you guys are bringing it. That is a good one. Man, for me, Footloose, Kenny Loggins, Sir Kenny Loggins, by the way. If you're at a party and you're sitting there just having a conversation with someone, sitting at a bar stool, a chair, whatever, and Footloose comes on, if you don't at least start shrugging your shoulders and lip syncing to that, it's time to go. Time to get out. Leave the party, because if you can't get down to Footloose, I don't think you can get down to anything. Ditto if the party's dying. If if you're drunk, if your eyes are closing, it's the end of the night, and Footloose is on, and you're still slumped over, call that Uber, bro. It's time to go. Definitely Footloose. Easily Footloose. Good question, though. I like that. All right, let's keep the party going here. Tom on Facebook asked me, uh, oh boy. How's Dante Whitner doing these days? You're a funny dude, Tom, aren't you? Come on, man. I'll give everyone the Cliff Notes version of what Tom's referring to, if you don't already know. Back in 2000, I think it was 2011, I was blogging about Buffalo sports, and I wrote a column about Dante Whitner. Clearly, he read it. Clearly, he did not like it. He sent a very nasty tweet to me. I responded, one thing led to another, and before you know it, he was literally challenging me into a fight. He wanted to have a three-round boxing match for charity, said he was going to beat my ass, and those are his words, and the money could go to charity. Now, I knew he was going to beat my ass if it went down. I'm not stupid. He's a finely tuned athletic machine. I ain't shit, but I was still going to box him. I don't care. It'd be stupid not to. The publicity was awesome. Plus, I had nothing to lose. He had everything to lose. The story got picked up, Deadspin, Pro Football Talk. And by the way, his agent very wisely put an end to that shit. He he squashed it, and it didn't happen. Not because Dante didn't want to beat my ass, though. So anyway, that's where the Dante Whitner thing comes from. And I'm going to be fair to Dante. I didn't dislike him as a person, at least not back then. I think his problem was he got drafted higher. I think he might have been the eighth pick in 2006. He got drafted a lot higher than most people thought he should. Most people considered him a mid, actually a late first round guy, but he went as a top 10 pick to Buffalo and he came with a lot of expectations because of that. And simply put, he didn't live up to him. He was a decent player, but he wasn't an impact guy. He didn't make much of a difference on the field. And he talked a lot of shit, frankly. He ran his mouth a lot in the locker room, always on camera, great soundbite. But then he'd go out on Sunday and he'd be irrelevant. And I think fans got sick of that pretty quickly. I know I did as a writer. So I wrote about it. He got nasty and turns out, whatever, he bounced around the league. I mean, I think he had a good year or two in Frisco after that. But 
whatever, man. Fuck Dante Winder. That's a, the long story short. I don't give a shit what is going on with Dante Winder these days. How about that? All right, let's start to pick up the pace a little bit here. Joanna Facebook wants to know, who was your favorite and least favorite The Office character and why? Well, favorite character is easy. That's definitely Michael Scott. Just so many layers to him. The show was not the same when he left. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think the show sucked like a lot of people do over the last two seasons, but definitely was not the same after he left. There were just so many layers and he was such a complex, lovable character. Easy choice for me there. Least favorite, I know this is a very political answer and I apologize, but I honestly did not have one, at least of any of the main cast of characters. Maybe if I had only watched the show one time, I wouldn't have cared about Oscar or Meredith or maybe Angela, but I watched the show so many times from start to finish that I got to know the characters on a different level by watching them so many times and I started to care about all of them. Put it this way, there's not one main character when they would be on a scene if I'm watching on Netflix that I'll fast forward it through all of them. The season nine guy, Dwight Jr., did not care for him at all. He kind of annoyed me. And uh, if you force me to say an answer, I would say, and this is still not even a real answer, but when Andy became manager over the last two seasons, I really, he fell off for me. I liked him a lot when he was Andy Bernard, the salesperson. I hated Andy Bernard, the sales manager. Got another office question. Rock Pile Report on Twitter wants to know, favorite Michael Scott character, Date Mike, Prison Mike, or Michael Scarn? For me, this is very easy. Prison Mike by a landslide. I, to this day, think that the Prison Mike scene, uh, I think it was episode seven, season three, that was the funniest scene ever in the office. So that's easily number one. Date Mike was really funny too. That was underrated. Michael didn't know he was on a date. The second he realized it, he completely changed. He became Date Mike, put the Kango on backwards. That was awesome. Michael Scarn, as a character, didn't do a lot for me. To me, that was just basically Michael Scott playing himself in the movie. Now, the episode itself was really good. I think I had it number 12 on my power rankings of all 185 episodes of The Office, which I did recently. But the character itself didn't do that much for me. Tell you what, I will put Caleb Crawdad from the murder episode in season six. I would definitely put that three. I might even put that two behind Prison Mike. When he played the Southerner, I do declare that was awesome. All right, last few here. Harry on Facebook wants to know, you know what? I'm not reading this shit. This is a podcast that has an explicit rating. There's language on here, but I'm not going to read this language. No way. I will answer one part of this for you, though. No, no, Harry, I do not have wet dreams about Bradley Cooper. Come on, man, knock that shit off. Mike Rogo on Facebook wants to know, past or present, who was your favorite Buffalo sports reporter? Present for me, definitely Larry Felser. Very young when he was on top of his game, but must read for me. Most respected columnist, I think, anyway, in the history of the Buffalo sports media. So there's your answer for past, present. I'll tell you what, it's a tie. Two people, and I'm not taking the easy way out here because they're for two different reasons. Number one, Tim Graham, formerly of the news, now with The Athletic. I just simply think he is the best storyteller of anyone I've ever read. I can't get enough of reading his stories. Plus, He's a really good guy and he's done a lot to help me. So Tim is definitely one. And then the other one is Joe Biscaglia. And I know he's a TV guy for Channel 7, but I'll tell you what, his post for me when it comes to Buffalo Bills content is absolutely must read. Whenever the Bills sign somebody or release someone, make a trade, get someone in the draft, whatever they do, whenever someone is new to this roster, the first thing I do, and I mean literally the first is go right to Joe's Twitter feed and wait for his post because I want to hear Joe B's take on it. That's what he calls it. I want to hear his analysis and how he breaks it down. I think he does it better than anyone else. So there you go. I got a tie when it comes to present reporters. And the last question goes to Tommy D-Y-K-N on Twitter who asks, do you plan on doing a seven-round Bills mock draft on your podcast before the NFL draft next month? Seven rounds? Hell no. 
I ain't doing no seven-round mock draft. I can tell you that right now. Part of the reason why it's not even me being lazy is that I would be doing you or any NFL draft fan a huge disservice. Here's why. If I'm doing a one-round or even I'd say a two-round NFL mock draft, I would, I'd be totally locked in. I know enough of the players. I know them well. I've read up on them. I've watched a lot of highlights. I look at teams and where their needs are. And I kind of just like everyone else can project where I think certain players might go, especially obviously with the Buffalo Bills, because I pay far more attention to them than anyone else. So the first two rounds, man, I got you there. Third round, that's where it gets a little iffy for me. It depends. I might know the players a little bit when they get to be third round talents. But I don't know a lot about them. So one and two, I'm locked in. Three, I start to lose it. And if I'm being completely honest with you, once I get to round four, it's over. For me, it's over. When I get to round four, I'm going to look at, if like let's just take the Bills for an example. And I say they need a tight end. I'm going to look at tight ends and I'm going to pick somebody who has the coolest name. Just like I would if I go to OTB and I bet on the horses. Every year in the Kentucky Derby, I don't know shit about the horses or odds or any of that shit. I pick my horses based on what name sounds the coolest. That's probably what I would do in a mock draft once it got to the fourth round. You got a cool name, or if you go to Notre Dame, if the Bills need a tight end, and I see a guy from Notre Dame who's projected to go in the fourth or fifth round, I'm picking him because he went to Notre Dame, not because he fits the system. I don't know if he's a Brian DeBall guy. It doesn't really matter. Fuck, he went to Notre Dame, or he's got a cool name. That's who I'm picking over the last three, four rounds. So you don't want no seven-round mock draft from me. Trust me, man. Trust me. Alrighty, that is going to do it for this podcast. Thanks again so much, Courtney Cox, NESN Boston. Very lovely, talented sports reporter. Very nice person as well. That was a fun chat. Glad I got a chance to get to know her. Very likable person. Go check out her work. Go follow her on Twitter. She is well worth the follow. Speaking of following, guys, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. You subscribe. New episodes automatically get sent right to your phone, to your iPad, to your computer. Within just minutes of being released, that is the benefit of being a subscriber. Simply put, you're going to get the episode before anyone else does. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Also going to ask you to go on YouTube, type in Moranalytics Podcast, and subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. Going to be posting certain clips from these podcasts, some original audio content, might even start to get into some videos down the line. So go ahead and do that. One more request here. If you could follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets, I'd really appreciate that. Thanks again very much for listening. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you. Have a good weekend. See you next Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.